Hey, welcome to January Man, the January Boys fan cast. I'm where the red fern grows. And I'm lost at sea. Today, I'm really excited, in case you can't already tell, because we're going to be talking about my favorite, favorite film in the franchise, January Boys 5, The Man Who Was January. Now, this installment is directed by Dario Argento, who has been stalking you for a good while now. That is correct. Mr. Argento has been stalking me for a couple of months. Uh, This was my favorite film before that, and the uh, surveillance cameras in my living quarters do not affect my review of the film. Not at all. Not even a little bit. Dario, I know you can hear me, and I know you can see me, and you haven't allowed me to wear clothes in about two months, but, um... I love the film anyway, and, and, and I love you as a friend. A friend who sees me naked on surveillance cameras. A friend indeed. And a friend in need. Yeah, anyway, um, personal life aside, I've always loved this film. I, uh, the first time I saw it um, was in theaters. They only actually released it in theaters in Italy, so you must have caught it on Blu-ray, right? I caught it at a midnight showing in an alley... Uh, that was down the block from the McDonald's. Oh, is it the McDonald's on 5th or the McDonald's on Pike? Pike. Hmm. They've got a hipster thing going there. Yeah, uh, I really like the conveyor belt at that one. So, let's talk a little bit about the plot. I'm pretty sure, because it's so intense uh, that and so so twisty, that that might be all we have time to get to today, but uh, I'm totally down to do a part two, because again, my favorite film in the franchise. Are you cool with that? I think we have to, frankly, because it's so... This is a very imagistic film, but it also fits with the canon in a sense. You know, it has the plot that is in debt to the other January Boys films, and then there's all the other layers. So I think we're, we have to concentrate on plot today. I totally agree. Great, great. So um, let's get started then. So we open on a symphony auditorium to the sound of um, Un Bel di Vedremo from Madame Butterfly. It's a beautiful soprano voice. Um, and it's just sort of flashes of the characters' faces and then flashes of their names. And then, bam, auditorium. And it's a bird's eye view. And it's completely empty except for this soprano and the symphony and one person in the audience. And that person, we find out as soon as uh, the song ends, is Hannibal Burris as Jeb Bush. And he shoots up right at the end of the song, almost before the end of the song, and gives them a standing ovation. He pours a lot of emotion into this ovation as well. It's a very passionate applause. It's the most passionate applause I've ever seen. And we've got to remember, Hannibal Burris, a man of passion... Uh, so just going really hard. His hands, I, w- I'm, I imagine, hurt quite a bit. I think you can see a few trickles of blood. It's subtle. On the Blu-ray re-release, uh, you can definitely see some of the red. It's bright red. It's probably tempera paint done, you know, how they uh, did it for the budgets at the time. But it's kind of a striking red, but it gets lost in the dark on some of the old prints. Right. So after the ovation, it's uh, them bowing and then a smash cut. Jeb and the conductor of the symphony, Mauricio, are walking. Uh, it all takes place in Venice. They're walking along the canal because we find out during this conversation that uh, uh, Jeb is actually studying at the Conservatorio di Musica, Bendero Marcello di Venezia. Uh, there are a lot of beautiful shots of the canals, and 
right now they're walking down one of the windier streets, uh, the sort of narrow alleys that are indicative of Venice, and um, talking about the practice. And Jeb says, wow, she has such a beautiful voice. She, of course, being uh, the soprano, whose name is um, Elena Svetlana. Uh, She's a Russian-born national, and she came to the conservatory to study opera. And the older gentleman with him, Mauricio, is the conductor, and he, he says, yeah, she does. I think I might be in love with her. And they laugh about it because Italian jokes, right? And then it's a smash cut to Jeb's apartment. Right. Jeb is studying his political science textbooks for his test at the conservatory, at the Conservatorio del Musica. Uh, Conservatorio di Musica. And uh, he receives a phone call from Joe. And while he's on this phone call, uh, we can see the the angst, the sort of... It's a very subtle but very powerful, again, passionate uh, emotion in Jeb's eyes and face. Um, while they're talking, and, and Joe says, Hey, I'm in Venice. I, I know we broke up because... They don't really talk about this at the end of Liquid Sleep, but in the meantime, in between the two films, they did break up because, like many passionate romances, they are on again, off again, on again, off again, on again, off again, off again, off again, on again. And that, to me, is just what love is. But, um, so Joe is in town because he's working on a modeling gig and a book about modeling. And you did see a few shots of Joe on these billboards while Mauricio and Jeb were walking down the alleyways by the canals. So it kind of reminds you of Joe's presence, and you wonder where he is. So this answers that question and ties it in. That's correct. Um, I am amazed that they actually allowed them to build the billboards just for that one scene in that alleyway. But we'll get to that next episode. Um, So... Jeb, again, feeling a lot of emotion. Uh, We we find out later that Joe's only really there to talk to Jeb. But Jeb uh, sort of agrees. He says, hey, look, if you're in town, let's get some espresso. Let's let's meet up at the symphony. I've got two tickets, and I don't have anyone to go with me. And we just see a close-up of uh, that famous Joe Biden smile. Just the teeth. All of them. All at once. And so then, bam, smash cut. It's the end of uh, Un Bel di Vedremo again, except this time the entire auditorium is packed and everyone, everyone is just applauding and hollering. It's a complete standing ovation. The conductor bows, the soprano bows, then Mauricio and, and Elena leave the stage. The applauding goes on for, for quite a bit longer. And then um, Mauricio comes back alone. He finishes the concert. And then, later, it turns out a couple days later, Elena Svetlana's body is found in one of the canals. She was murdered, stabbed to death 468 times. And the police say when Jeb and Joe and Mauricio rush over there that she was killed during the concert. And there starts the mystery, dear listener. And let me tell you, tis a doozy. So this sort of reignites the old detective instincts of Jeb and Joe from back in the day when they were solving crimes and having adventures. And 
Jeb is upset by how distraught Mauricio is, of course, and Joe is angered by the seeming antipathy of the police, and he's like, let's all go over there and make him handle this. So when they charge into the police station, they are emphatic that this should have a proper investigation. But of course the police just dismiss this incident as they say Elena was probably a spy having been a Russian national and they all just laugh at the three of them for a good two minutes. I'd say it's about 20 minutes. It's a full 20 minutes of it, it seems to go by a lot faster but um they do they do gesture for more police to come in, like a couple more, like here, come on, listen to this, and then they laugh, and then hey, let's let's get uh, you know Luigi, and then it's, hey, oh, let's get uh, and then yeah, they gesture continually until the screen is filled with laughing Italians. Yeah, yeah, and just a lot of Italian police officers. They they invite the baker from down the street. They invite the the butcher. They invite um, their grandmother comes with a big plate of of lasagna and then they tell her what happens and basically what happens is every time a new person walks into frame they have to say it over they say tell them what you just told me and they do and then usually it's accompanied with people get murdered in venice all the time and then just laughter peals of laughter um and again that does go on for about 20 minutes and eventually they just leave they it's, there's no cut it's just the uh the boys awkwardly walk off uh, out of frame. And then th- they investigate. Because if the police aren't going to do it, then, of course, Joe Biden and Jeb Bush are going to do it. And Mauricio helps them out for a little bit. And then he says, look, guys, uh, my cousin's in town. I really got to leave. And so he he leaves. And uh, we don't know what happens then. Maybe he meets with his cousin. I would assume he meets with his cousin. Because we do meet the cousin later, but I'll get to that. But he's out of the main plotline for a while, and we get into the good old Jeb and Joe teamwork. Right, and they they go to the conservatory, and they go to the dorms, and they talk to people that knew uh, Elena and that know Mauricio, actually, and they all say the same thing. They go, you know, Mauricio was a pretty jealous guy, and he was completely in love with her. Um, I, I think he did it. A lot of them say that. And, of course, this angers Jeb because Mauricio's his friend and, and he was friends with Elena. And Joe looks at him and he goes, hey, I think I think it might have been Mauricio. And, and Jeb is just so angered by this that he starts a student revolt. He starts a riot, not only because one of his best friends in Italy is being uh, accused of such a heinous crime, but also because he's found out that due to this accusation the entire school is going to shut down for a week, and he is a very avid student. He starts this entire riot, and at first, at first it's just him screaming and pushing people downstairs and throwing chairs over and throwing tables into the canal, but eventually the Italians join in. They say, I like what that guy's doing. I stand behind him, and then they do literally stand behind him, run behind him, and throw people down uh, alleyways and off of bridges, and they, the whole entire student body eventually is up in arms about this. And then we see uh, Mauricio again with his cousin, who, unlike Mauricio, is an albino with short hair. And at first Mauricio is a bit chagrined at all this having happened, like, in defense of him, but also it's by a student. He's Eventually he gets everybody kind of calmed down, 
and he gives Jeb a little talking to. He takes him to the side, and he gives him a little speech. Yeah, that speech will haunt me for the rest of my life. It's just so powerful and beautiful, but simplistic, with an Italian accent. It should be noted that um, a lot of the dialogue in this movie is in Italian, or is dubbed over in English, or is dubbed over in Italian and English, um, and they might not even be speaking. Yeah, sometimes it's actually both Italian and English dubs on top of each other. At least one DVD I watched of this was like that during the speech. And actually the way the two languages blended together was quite beautiful. Yeah, it, it's almost polysymphonic. It's, it's almost musical. Um, even if you can't understand a damn thing they're saying. But you get the essence. And that's what's important in language, really, is that you get the point across. And that's what this movie does. It gets the point across. Um, so after the riot, things calm down for another couple days. Um, we see Joe in his very fancy hotel room that the modeling agency has put him up in. And he's reading a book, and he notices a dark figure standing outside of his window down in the street. And he looks out, and they take a picture. And then they catch him looking, and they start to run. So he, of course, being Joe Biden, runs after him. And so Joe runs down after him, jumps over a bicycle, and jumps into a gondola. And there's a long gondola chase, a high-speed gondola chase. Uh, the mysterious photographer is all in black. We can't see what they, are, what they look like. Their gondola is black. Joe Biden's gondola is white. And um, he's given way. He gets just close enough to see who it is. We see the reaction on his face. And then, bam, he gets T-boned by another gondola coming straight into him, a gray gondola. And the next scene, smash cut, Joe is in the hospital. He can't speak. He's, he's in a neck brace. He's got splinters of, of gondola wood in his in his eyebrows and Jeb is holding his hand and he vows to Mauricio who's also there that he's going to get whoever did this and then Mauricio nods appreciatively and leaves to give Jeb and Joe a moment together and then Jeb also gets up to leave for a minute but Joe's hand brings him back down he pulls him back down and he stares into Jeb's eyes and you can tell Joe can't talk, but you can tell by how he's communicating through his eyes and his eyebrows that Joe saw who did it, and he's conveying some information, some deep, intimate information that only Jeb knows how to read from their intimate relationship. And it's just, it's a lot of close-ups between their two eyes, um, and... I really love, actually, the uh, the soundtrack of this film. I know I say that about um, almost all of the films, but I'm a soundtrack guy, you know? So this one, it sort of has that, like, whispering in the, in the violins uh, and the echoes, and it really kind of escalates um, in this scene, and it escalates in the scenes coming until it's almost a, a, an overpowering cacophony of just destructive whispering and violin. Um, so the next scene is Jeb's apartment. He's sipping espresso and he's studying for his, his next exam. And we see that same figure standing outside of his window and he takes a picture. And 
Jeb looks up, and he catches him, and he gives chase. And the chase goes all through Venice, all around Venice, um, just through alleyways, down some stairs, up some stairs, around some stairs. And there's a very brief and very careful gondola chase in this one, as both the running man and Jeb are very conscious now of gondola safety issues. There actually at the end of the film there is a PSA, a short PSA about uh gondola safety. Um which you can never be too careful around a gondola. If you ever find yourself in a gondola, then um always remember to wear your vest, take your pole with you, and uh don't play the accordion too hard. A gondola is not a toy like a gun or a car. You have to treat it with respect. So the chase keeps going, and it leads, eventually, to the symphony auditorium. And the crazy thing is, it's completely empty, completely dead silent, really silent, too quiet. But then you just hear footsteps. And he runs backstage, and he sees the figure, and he chases him through a hall just full of marionettes and then he pushes past the marionettes and he chases them down through a hall of porcelain mannequins and then he pushes those aside and he jumps over an entire room full of rocking horses and knives and then he's in a room full of mirrors he can see the figure but he can't really make out which one it is so he just smashes every mirror with his fists and once he finally gets there When he finally catches up with him, he takes the mask off, and it's Mauricio. It's been Mauricio the whole time. Mauricio was really guilty. And it comes out through a series of flashbacks and, and, and of course, Mauricio's narration, both in English and Italian, that he was jealous. He, He thought that Elena didn't love him, and he wanted her love so badly uh, she was ignoring his calls, ignoring his texts. She was always late for rehearsal. Uh, the stage manager would get would text her and, and would never she would never respond. And he was so furious and so in love that at the end of her big performance, he stabbed her 468 times and then dumped her body in the canal. Now you might be wondering, listener, if you haven't already seen the film. How did he do that? How did he go back and do all of this and then come back and finish the performance without a, uh, without a speck of blood on him? Turns out his cousin was put in makeup and they put a wig on him and his cousin came out and finished the concert for him and no one was the wiser. And Jeb is so hurt. He's so hurt. He just... He hasn't been in the sun for days. He's been drinking nothing but espresso. And he he looks down at him with these hungry eyes. And then he rears back. And he bites him in the neck. And it turns out Jeb Bush has been a vampire this whole time because he was cursed by a group of Italian witches. And some speculate that the whispering over the course of the entire film has been related to this, like that it was the voices of the witches, uh, or the coven speaking to him, or in another location, doing incantations, but it really has not been confirmed yet. Right, and also the, uh, I should also mention that that the entire chase is 
in bright reds and bright blues and bright greens, very high contrast. So it's very jarring to look at. And then suddenly it just goes to black and white and then red when he bites into his neck. And just blood gushing everywhere. And then we cut back, and it's it's Joe in the hospital. He looks a little better. It has been a couple of days. And we see Jeb walk up, blood on his shirt. And he slumps down. And he looks at Joe, and he knows he may never be able to walk again. And he says, in Italian, I don't want to hurt you. This one is subtitled in English, so so I don't even really remember the real Italian, but he says, I don't want to hurt you. And then he bends over, and he takes a chunk out of Joe's neck. It's crazy. It's wild. And then it's just cut to black, and that's the end. And then there's the PSA about gondola safety. Very important. Yeah. Part of the funding came from uh, the Gondola Commission of Venice. Yeah. It's really interesting because this had such a specific release theatrically, really being based the, the theatrical release happening only in Italy at the at the time, and that this has remained such a cult installment that some people still don't even really know about. It's just coming more into awareness now. Yeah, they found it in one of Argento's vaults. Um, he keeps vaults of all of his films, which I have been wandering aimlessly for a couple of days now. Um, and it's crazy. You know, he's got a lot of movies that people don't know about. Um, some of his more famous movies, of course, Deep Red, Four Flies on Grey Velvet, um, Suspiria. Those those everyone knows about, right? If you're, if you're into Giallos, you know about those films. Um, but other films like the Man Who Was January, um, The Frenchman Who Loved Italians, um, Giallo with uh, Adrian Brody. Nobody really cares about those, so those are less known, and they're finally kind of getting American releases. Uh, I, I've been all over this since it came out way back in the day, and I'm just so glad that more people are finally able to talk about the fifth installment, because it is canonical. Yeah, some have debate over that, but we hear that they're getting wrapped up because they don't touch on some of these threads. Like about the vampiric coven, it's not brought back in a clear way in some of these sequels, but we've got some insight into the upcoming January Boys film through some of your connections that uh, it's coming, a lot of these threads are coming back. Right, right. And um, it should be noted that the original Italian name for the release was... uh, January Boys 5, Sangue di Espresso, which is blood and espresso. Um, so they do kind of hint at the vampirism in the beginning, um, but in the American release, and more widely known, it's the man who was January. So, that. Man, I just, I love this movie so much. It leaves me speechless every time. Um, I It blows my mind. I, I, I'm amazed that it was... Brought in, they do reference at some points, um, they hint at uh, certain plot points. Like once once in a while you'll see Joe pull out his, uh, Splinter from his eyebrow. But that could just be because he likes woodworking. It's been a classic Joe Biden element all, all through the film. Like just in montages and various contents. So if you, did, if you weren't looking, you might not think about it. Mm-hmm. 
And like you said, there are some hints that the next film is going to be uh, referencing more about the the threads, the plot lines, the loose ends uh, of January Boys 5. And I hope they do. Um, I I really think it deserves more recognition. I know that some of the uh, Choose Your Own Adventure novels and some of the uh, Treasure Weekly novels also reference this. Um, For example... Uh, the Treasure Weekly novel Sangue Espresso Due, which is just Blood and Espresso 2, written entirely in Italian, uh, is one of those. So, um, I, yeah, I'm just really looking forward to it. Uh, listeners, if you could tweet at us at January Pod about what you think is going to happen in the ninth film uh, and whether or not they will actually uh, reference uh, this almost dreamlike sort of odd installment this cult classic of the january boys franchise that would be great at january pod on twitter and that's the main plot line of the man who was january which now that we've touched upon all those basic points leaves us free in uh, one of these next episodes to get into the uh the imagery and some of the behind the scenes drama behind it you know yes i'm very excited um you guys will hear all about that next episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. Is there anything else you'd like to say before we head out? As always, keep January in your heart. January Man is hosted by A.V. Eichenbaum and Davis Banta. Today's episode is brought to you by the letter S for Soprano. The music for today's episode is It Feels Good to Be Alive Too by Loyalty Freak Music. Thanks for listening. Zos to you.